I'm Julianne DeLynn Hatton, and you're listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. This series will discuss the Prophet Joseph Smith and the authenticity of the gospel he restored. I'll be speaking with Michael R. Ash, author of the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Welcome, Michael Ash. Hi, Julianne. This evening, we'll be talking about two chapters that are in your section, Doctrines, from the book of Faith and Reason. Yes. They're plain and precious things, is what you call the first chapter, and the closed canon is also the second chapter. Yes, they're closely related topics. Let's begin by talking about plain and precious things, and we can't do that without first describing Nephi's vision of the tree of life. Yeah, um, Lehi, first of all, had this vision uh, where he saw this the tree of life, and um, he shared the information with his family, and Nephi felt like, wow, that this is fascinating, and I want to learn more. And so he prayed that he would also have the same vision. And he uh, had the same vision, but but saw things that Lehi hadn't seen. And, and obviously, Lehi had um, seen things that Nephi didn't see either. And, and uh, you know, as kind of a, a side note on this, I think that this particular instance gives Latter-day Saints a great example of how we should view revelation. You know, the, the prophets receive revelation for the direction of the church, but it, it would behoove us to seek our own spiritual confirmations on the things that were taught. And, and so we should follow Nephi's example and turn to the Lord and pray whenever there's revelations that we don't understand so that we receive confirmation. We have that direct communication with Heavenly Father ourselves so we we uh, can accept the uh, these revelations wholeheartedly and, and really get behind them. And, and it's interesting that Laman and Lemuel, they complained to Nephi. They said, you know, how, how come you had this this revelation and see, saw this vision while we didn't? And Nephi said, basically, because I asked. You know, I went to the Lord and wanted to know, and, and they didn't ask. And, and so I think, like I said, for members of the church, it's a great example of how we should uh, seek our revelations to, to confirm the things the prophets are, are telling us so that we it, it can strengthen us. So having said that, the, the tree of uh, life vision, and we've talked about this before uh, a little bit because it has a very ancient uh, context in it, but basically there was this uh, path that led to the to the tree, and uh, um, people followed it and, and went off sometimes in the darkness and, and, and lost their way. In the, and then if they came to the tree, there was this uh, fruit, which was the love of God. And then Nephi saw more that kind of tied into this love of God, and he, he saw that the Savior was going to come and that um, you know, it could be born of Mary and, uh, um, and, and saw a little bit what was going to happen with the, the church under Christ's mortal leadership, and that uh, that he was going to have twelve apostles, and and that the scriptures were going to be a record of this, and and this is where it kind of ties into this chapter now. Is that in First Nephi chapter thirteen verses twenty through twenty six? As Nephi is describing this vision, he says that after the uh, apostles were were basically hunted or killed, that they were uh, persecuted after Christ died, that the scriptures were taken and that uh, some of the gospel was taken away, that many, as Nephi says, that away from the gospel of the many, uh, of the Lamb, many parts which are plain and most precious. So from this book, 
Nephi saw that some of the things that were important were going to be lost. Why is this important? Well, because we know, and, and, and scholars know this as well, that we do not have all of the material that Christ would have taught or that the apostles would have taught. And so there are things that are missing. And, uh, you, you know, we, we look back on history, and, it, and it's amazing that what we have in the Bible survived. You know, we look at the Library of Alexandria and how, how it was, you know, burned and destroyed and, and the, the thousands of books that were lost. And, and we think about all the many books written on papyrus and, and other uh, forms and clay tablets and so forth that have been destroyed through the years. And here were the teachings by the Savior himself and those directly around him, the apostles, that they would have written down the things that he would have said, and they're gone. They're gone forever. They, they, they've uh, been, been lost. And so we don't have those teachings. And for Latter-day Saints, that's important to us because, thank goodness, we have modern prophets, modern revelations, and when the Lord sees fit to restore some of the teachings uh, to us that were lost in the past, he has a conduit and a way uh, to um, reveal those things once again. So this is a radically different view than most of Christianity. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The uh, especially in Protestantism, the authority resides in the Bible, and, and so most Protestants and I use this more in a term of, of lay members. There's some scholars out in that are Protestants that maybe take a little more liberal view on it. But for the most part, Protestants believe that the that everything we have that the Lord wants us to have is in the Bible, and that it's perfect, that it's infallible, that it's inerrant. And uh, we don't take that position uh, because not only do we believe that uh, you know some of the books that were important to the Christians were lost, but that some of the things that did survive were corrupted as well. Was this an unusual belief in Joseph Smith's time as well? Yeah, it really was uh, for the most part because, you know, he grew up in a Protestant environment. And again, the the uh, teachings would have been that the, the Bible has all the Word of God in it. And in fact, that's really the um, when Joseph Smith brought forth the Book of Mormon, I mean, that was that was blasphemous, you know, that he had another Bible and would dare introduce additional uh, Scripture to the world. They said, we, we already have all the Scripture, and there isn't anything else that can uh, be out there. How do we know that there are books missing? There's a couple of different ways we know. Um, the early Christians what many terms, the doctors or the scholars, some of the most notable writers in early Christianity that followed the apostles, um, they wrote quite a bit themselves, and, and a lot of their works have survived. And they wrote mostly um, trying to correct things. Uh, they, they, there was some debates back and forth, and this again ties into what we talked in the previous uh, podcast about the apostasy is is that with the authority gone, there was nobody around who could set the record straight. And so you had these very intelligent people trying to do their best to understand the teachings themselves, and they didn't always agree. And so they wrote back and forth about some of these disagreements. But in their writings, they mention books that we don't have. Clement of Rome, he, he was a uh, um, one of the earliest Christian authors after uh, the New Testament writers, um, he 
quotes uh, Moses saying, I am a smoke from a vessel. Well, we don't have such a quote from any of the books that have survived where Moses says that. Um, he cites a passage from Psalms 28 that is different than what we find in, in our manuscripts. And um, he attributes things uh, to Ezekiel that we don't find in our Bibles. And so there's a lot of early Christians that refer to writings from authors that we accept uh, from the Bible that don't exist. And the other thing is, is that they mention books uh, that were in their canon of scriptures that we don't have. And, and, uh, and we find actually the same thing in the Old Testament. So it goes back prior to the New Testament times. Um, you know, the Bible mentions uh, um, the book of Jasher, the book of Gad the Seer, um, book of Nathan the prophet. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of these that are mentioned in both the Old and New Testament books that didn't exist. And in the early New Testament church, some of these books did exist and were uh, held very dear by the early Christians. They were considered as authoritative as the books that we have in the New Testament today. So what's happened to these books? Uh, for the most part, these books, again, have disappeared. That There are a few um, books here and there in the, uh, that we have in like the Apocrypha, or we see maybe hints of things in some of the uh, Pseudepigrapha that, that, that uh, maybe tie into these writings. Uh, but many of these books that are mentioned or hinted at... Uh, they have kind of gone by the wayside. When Constantine, the emperor, took over in, in the 4th century A.D., he wanted unity. He wasn't a Christian himself, but he could see that these factions, that there were factions basically among the different uh, uh, church leaders, and he wanted unity. So, so pretty much he laid down the law and said, we're going to decide which books are authoritative and include those in the New Testament and which ones are not, and uh, basically outlawed uh, anybody to have any books that were contrary to what was the New Testament. And what's interesting is through the years, sometimes uh, different uh, le leaders brought things in or, or excluded things that were in there previously. So the canon of books, the, the compilation of books that were in the New Testament changed in time, but it really started in earnest with Emperor Constantine. Why did you feel that this point was important to make in your book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith? It's important because the Christian world in general uh, should realize, and like I said, uh, Christian scholars know this, but the lay members generally don't, that we do not have everything that was recorded by the, uh, that was said by Jesus, that was written down in his sayings, that was recorded by the apostles or Old Testament prophets, things are missing. Teachings are missing. And I, I honestly believe that the Lord did guide the preservation of the Bible. Uh, it kept it in hands for the most part among relatively faithful scribes that carried the, the basics forward. But the, the basics uh, sometimes are missing some of the teachings that, uh, or, or maybe clarifications on teachings, I should say, that uh, came forward only in the Restoration. You, you know, a lot of people have heard uh, 
the Book of Mormon being not only as another testament, but being used as a, a clarification for the Bible. So when there's confusion in the Bible, the Book of Mormon helps to, uh, you know, you have another witness, and another witness can, can um, clarify ambiguous uh, doctrines or sayings that are in the Bible itself. And, and so th those people outside of our church that would ridicule um, not only modern prophets writing, but uh, that there were teachings written by prophets that aren't found in the New Testament or Old Testament, well, scholars know that this actually is precisely what exists, is that there are books written, written by prophets that are not included in the New Testament. And, and so it's a verification as uh, uh, a support that the Latter-day Saint position is at least accurate. It, it certainly doesn't prove that the Book of Mormon is true or that the Pearl of Great Price is, Price is true, but it does show that our position to accept Scripture beyond the Bible is in full harmony with what modern scholarship uh, agrees with today. But what would be the purpose of leaving sections out of the Bible? Well, we know that some of the scribes did not always agree with some of the teachings, and so they were edited. Uh, we, we know this is a fact that sometimes they tried to clarify the things themselves or things that we, we have some writings uh, from um, the, the, the early Christians. There was this one fourth century uh, copyist by the name of Rufinius, and he says that when he uh, copied the works of another early Christian writer or region, um, that he would admit those things that were contrary to his interpretation of the scripture. And, and so this was going on, in fact, in one of the writings, early writings from Peter, he complains about the same thing. He says that, uh, you know, there's people that seem to be editing his words and trying to make them their own. And uh, like I said, this isn't mean that they were dishonest. It was kind of a cultural phenomena to a certain extent. People back in those days felt it was within their right. Um, it, was, it was part of Jewish heritage, really, that they could reinterpret the teachings themselves. Uh, and the, the problem is that when they reinterpret and those and those writings are passed on, then we don't have the original writing. And it's always it's kind of like the telephone game, you know, where you whisper a secret from one person to the next, and by the time it goes around the classroom, the entire message has changed. And, and in some instances, we've seen that happen with biblical passages. And like I said, fortunately, because I think the Lord had a hand in it, there's a lot of integrity to the Bible. But there are enough things that have been lost uh, as well. And in fact, uh, uh, in my book, I, I, I mention how uh, s several very prominent scholars, in fact, uh, uh, Professor um, William Albright, who's a renowned Bible scholar, he says that our Hebrew text, talk about the Old Testament, of course, has suffered much more from losses than from glosses. And so the glosses would be the editing part, but there's losses as well. And, uh, and of course, that ties right into what Nephi said, where he's, uh, he saw that many of the plain and precious parts would be taken away. So how do we go from disagreements about what should be added or subtracted or interpreted to the Bible to a closed canon? Well, in order to set down an authoritative book, 
um, you have to shut the doors. And that's what what uh, basically the Catholic Church uh, eventually did, and the Protestants did even more fully to a great degree, is that if by shutting the doors to the canon, then they're basically saying, you know, we've come this far, we can go no further, and that way anything that's outside of the closed book is not accurate. It, it doesn't mean anything. And and because if it does, then all of a sudden you have that confusion again. So so you can understand a little bit of the logic behind it, saying that, you know, we, we have this, this rule book, basically, and these other things we don't know about, so we're going to cut these off. Well, the problem is you don't know about the stuff that's in there either. You know, it's hard to choose and pick which ones were accurate, which ones are not. But, but at some point, they felt like they had to set a list and say, these we're going to accept, these we don't, because these match with a general feel, uh, theme that we feel is accurate. Again, not guided by, you know, uh, by prophets, um, but of, of feeling of these seem to be logical, and so we'll exclude everything else. Otherwise, the confusion and the debates continue. So, like I said, it, it makes sense from that point of view by not having a prophet to give that direction. Well, fortunately, we have a modern-day prophet that can continue adding to the Scripture and modern prophets within the last 100 years, you know, Joseph Smith, obviously, who was able to bring forth lost Scripture and add it to our book of books, our, our, uh, our compilation, our canon, if you will. Um, and the other thing is that Joseph Smith actually even prayed and asked about the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha were, um, you know, we mentioned before, but a group of books that were in, basically still is in the Catholic Bible. It's not accepted by the Protestants. But Joseph asked about those and said, you know, are, are they of value? And the Lord said, some of the stuff is, and some of the stuff isn't. And so we have to go through that. Uh, if somebody were to read it on their own, they can do it with the uh, spirit of revelation and ask for themselves as they come upon things, you know, where they might gain insight. Uh, we don't include it into the Latter-day Saint scripture as official scripture, but our definition of scripture is much looser than other churches, you know, a lot of times we call Scripture the things that come to us from general conference. You know, that doesn't mean it's included necessarily in the, the written book called the Bible or the Doctrine and Covenants or anything, but uh, we, we believe that Scripture comes from God, and that's really, you know, the more solid definition. And and so, like I said, this takes us a, a kind of full circle back to Nephi's dream. When the prophets speak, we can know that a Scripture by ourselves immersing in the uh, in the spiritual realm by praying about it, asking Heavenly Father for direction, guidance, and understanding of the things that the prophets are real, revealing. So when we go to general conference and we hear the things coming from the mouths of the prophets, you know, we should really be expected to, to uh, get on our knees and pray about it and say, here's the things I've been taught from the pulpit, from the, the, the living prophets, how do I implement these in my lives? You know, help me understand them. And you never know what might happen next. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Ash. Thank you, Julianne. Thanks for listening to Faith and Reason on the Mormon Faircast. I'm your host, Julianne Delin Hatton, inviting you to keep the faith. Michael R. Ash is the author of the book, Shaken Faith Syndrome, Strengthening One's Testimony in the Face of Criticism and Doubt, as well as the book of Faith and Reason, 80 Evidences Supporting the Prophet Joseph Smith. Faith and Reason is produced by Tom Hatton with music courtesy of Arthur Hatton. 
The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can support this podcast by subscribing to it in iTunes and by rating it and writing a review. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org or you may join the conversation at fairblog.org.